Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Matt Vandenhuvel and David Swinney. All right. Well, Matt, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and the church that you're at. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Matt Vandenhuvel. I and married to my wife, Julie. That's why I'm here in Calgary. Love brought me here. Uh, I am originally from the U.S. And uh, yeah, we got married in 2010. Uh, the first church that I was uh, ordained into uh, preaching at was my wife's home church growing up here in Calgary. And then after like three and a half, whatever years uh, of that, then I ended up uh, taking a call to this church uh, also here in Calgary, this is Covenant Christian Reformed Church here in Calgary. And uh, yeah, I've been here since 2015, spring 2015. And uh, uh, it's it's been good. Got uh, three kids. We got uh, 10, 8, almost 11, almost 9, and a one-year-old. And so a uh, big caboose there. Uh, mm-hmm. and we are, uh, tired, uh, because we're not like really old people, but we're old for having parents. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, our little boy Jude is, a is, yeah, just an awesome blessing. And, uh, it's a blessing that he's sleeping a little bit better these days. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We have two guests on our podcast today. So David, uh, why don't you give us a little insight into your life, uh, where you're at your church and your family? I am David Swinney. I'm the pastor at High River Christian Reformed Church for just over seven years now. Uh, prior to that, I was I started off in Winnipeg and went from there to central Minnesota to Bruton and then to Burdett, Alberta, which is, we used to say, it's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from there. Um, <laughs> I am the husband of one wife, the father of six kids and grandfather to eight. Um, all of them are out on their own now, so it's just me and my wife, Linda, at home, and uh, we are enjoying uh, ministering here in southern Alberta. Amen. 
So why don't you guys tell the story? I'll let you choose which one of you wants to tell the story of like how you guys got connected and, and why we're interviewing kind of both of you at the same time on this podcast. Uh, well, um, how did we actually start like actually talking in the first place? We were sort of thrown together in an ad hoc faith formation committee for our classes, um, which involved a couple of other people at the time. And we worked together with faith formation for a while. We were before the denominational faith formation. We, they, they used, I think our term, actually, we started up a faith formation committee Mm -hmm. in our classes uh, and that was that was pretty good stuff. Yeah, they. I wanted to just call it discipleship. So I'm not a big <laughs> faith formation as far as the term goes. But we worked together on that for a while and got to know each other. And uh, I think when that originally happened, I may still have been out at Burdett. Um, and then yeah. eventually, right after that, came to uh, came to High River, which is. About 20 minutes south of Calgary. So, uh, and also, you were the stated clerk of our classes for a while. I was the chair of the classical interim committee, classical ministries committee. Uh, we had a handful of pieces classically where we were connecting. And so, we sort of developed some relationship that way. Um, yeah. And then, and, yeah, know. 2017, um, we noticed there were five Sundays in October and five solas in our uh, reformed way of looking at things. So we had this brilliant idea. I think it was Matt's idea because he's probably slightly lazier than I am. Um, <laughs> and if we worked together on the five that each of us could do, I would do two, he would do two, and we'd wrap up with, um, with our own. To the glory of God glory alone, of God we would each alone. do our own sermon. So uh we worked together on that series of five. By the way, we preached, like if I preached one of them, then I first preached it in his church. And so the second time around, when it's better, I preached the better <laughs> version in my own church. Which is <laughs> <laughs> and then it just sort of stuck after that. Um, we were looking at going into uh, kind of a large series. We started a big series in 2018. We wanted to do... Um, Luke, then Acts, and then Revelation. Well, it started with Acts. It's like, what would happen, like, if the gospel, you know, like, what happens when the gospel gets out and it spreads and stuff like that? So it's like, I would love to preach through Acts. And I was chatting this through with David, and then we realized, well, why would we start with Luke part two? We should start with Luke part one. And so we did Luke part one first, so the gospel of Luke, and then we went to Acts. And then we also, early on, we we decided, hey, let's make this a trilogy. And uh, so then we ended up adding Revelation. Uh, he didn't use the same sermon series title, but I called it Dear Theophilus, this sermon series of Luke Acts Revelation. That went like a really long time. And I didn't use uh, the same. I, I went under the title This Same Jesus. Right. With the idea that the Jesus we meet in Luke is incarnate in the church through the book of Acts and revelation is really kind of a look at, at least in the way that I understand it, sort of a look at what's going on in heaven at the same time that the church is expanding during the book of Acts. So, you know, we're seeing Christ, you know, in his state of humiliation and Christ in his state of exaltation 
and then also Christ in the church as the church goes forward under the apostles. And see, I didn't understand that until we started studying it either. Because I was like, okay, the time of Jesus, then the spread of the gospel of Jesus, and then the end times. Uh, After studying it harder, uh, and with this guy's influences, uh, I have become a post-millennialist. And so I have a preterist view. You said the word. <laughs> and and uh, it's just yeah, it was. I don't know. I don't know if we want to go deeper into that, but that was that was a, a fantastic time. But it was neat though, going through um, uh, all of Luke, and it took us maybe about a year to get through Luke, maybe another year to get through Acts, and we did probably about three quarters of a year's worth in we had, Revelation. We had some breaks in the summer. and breaks, summer breaks. We did a couple of series. And where Maybe sometimes like we were doing the same thing. Sometimes Advent we break. Were, so we did a we did a break again during a Reformation time. We went through another uh, Reformation uh, uh, canons of Dort series uh, using Ephesians as basically our outline to go through the theology of the canons of Dort. Uh, so that was in the midst of it as well. Um, and yeah, so those are some of the series that we've done. We did some other series, some other old Testament series and whatnot throughout there. Uh, but, but our main series for quite a while was Luke acts revelation. Then we did a big series in uh, the gospel of John. So yeah, we just finished that up. We were in John for maybe what three quarters of a year again. No, it wasn't that long. Oh, half a year. I don't know. Time is whatever. <laughs> Time uh, that that's fair. I, you guys, thank you so much just for sharing uh, kind of your your emphasis of preaching and your passion for preaching. My question, actually, kind of as it relates to the post millennial uh, category that we brought in. So, how have your positions in eschatology, your post millennial eschatologies, how has that shaped and kind of enriched your preaching? Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by saying I, I've sort of been, I came uh, kind of a circuitous route to ministry in the CRC and grew up Baptist, ended up in a PCA church down in Savannah, Georgia. And it was our pastor in that PCA church who first sort of introduced me to this way of understanding eschatology. So it's, it was quite a long development for me, like throughout the whole time I've been reformed. I've also been post-millennial. Uh, my first, when Matt and I first talked about Revelation, he used to say he's a pan-millennialist. I still am a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out the end. <laughs> I almost got him broken of that habit because I'll punch him once in a while when he says it. But um, no, I, I think that it has made a significant difference just for me in terms of seeing Christ at work, not just in the heavenlies, not just in spiritual things, but, you know, at work on earth, that Jesus is Lord of the nations now, King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, I, I, I came back to that quite often as we were going through Revelation, just those, those doxologies that are in there where we have that indication that Christ reigns now and over the entire planet. And um, I one of the early things for me, um, early scriptures that sort of brought me into this was uh, Psalm 2. And this Presbyterian pastor that I used to have, um, 
would always talk about Psalm 2 and he'd say, you know, the father says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. And when the son of God rose from the dead, he did not forget to ask. Um, and that just really sort of put everything in perspective that, yes, the, you know, the Great Commission um, is based on this idea. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. And so much of scripture, and I think Matt would bear this out, that there's so many places you're not in an eschatological passage. You're in, you know, somewhere that you wouldn't even think was related. And all of a sudden, the pieces kind of click together and you think, yeah, from this point of view, that makes sense. Where before it was always a question of, of how, how do you reconcile this with your eschatology? Well, and even just the Great Commission, it's like the Great Commission will be successful. <laughs> I mean, and everything will be is, is being put under his feet. Jesus is on his throne. It's being put under his feet. Um, there's just so many pieces that just, just make sense. I'm an optimistic type of person. Uh, and uh, also, too, it's an optimistic view as well. Uh, I'm excited about the future. I think from a preaching perspective, it, it, uh, gives me more reason to proclaim as well. Uh, knowing that ultimately God's word will succeed. Uh, and, um, and, and although there's, there's wheels and woes, there's cycles in this all. Um, and sometimes we might be at the bottom of a cycle, but I believe that ultimately the Christian church is going up. But actually, we were just in Judges. We just did a ser- sermon series through Judges. And, and I would say that uh, uh, what's clear in Judges is that there's these cycles, right? There's the wheel and the woe. But then uh, if you read in various places in Judges, it says that, and then they did worse than their fathers before them, right? Like, so the circles, the cyclicalness of it, it's a, it's a downward spiral, right? It spirals, but it spirals downward, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And, and uh, yeah, so you see that, and in many ways, it's, it's bad up until the point of Christ. But then from the point of Christ, I would say that we still have the same cycles, but the cycles get better and better. Right. And, and I would say that this speaks to the sanctification of the church, uh, the, the purification of Christ's bride, um, where actually things are getting better. I would say that uh, our churches are, are more theologically correct when I think about the true Christian church. Um, it seems as though it was a true Christian church that was in Corinthians or in Corinth. And uh, and they had a true Christian church and they thought it was a good idea for a guy that was having sex with his mother-in-law. Like they, they, their theology was that screwed up. Like, I don't know true Christian churches that are screwed up on that. Right. And, and uh, also too, I think we had good, true Christians in, uh, in, in, in the churches in the time of the reformation. And they were arguing about baptism. Uh, And uh, it's like, well, you know, the, the men in the Anabaptists, they were, uh, kicking back against the, the the Dutch reformers. And then the Dutch reformers said, well, we'll just drown you. All right. And it, they killed people. Right. Uh, I had, uh, I have a really good friend uh, who's an Anabaptist Mennonite uh, as a, as a, a seminary uh, roommate that I had, and we still keep in good contact and uh, we don't, we don't uh, put, throw punches at each other. So I think we fight better. Our theology is better. I think we're loving better. 
Um, I think we're in a really interesting phase right now of church history where we're experiencing massive growth, which comes with growth pains. Growth happens with growth pains. And uh, I am extremely hopeful. Uh, And I'm seeing, I think before my post-millennial view, I I think I had uh, a little bit, although I wasn't a pre-millennial dispensationalist, I had some of that idea where it's just like kind of hold your breath until it's over. It's got to be over real soon. Right now, it's like, no, let's just be faithful and see what God's doing. And so it's very exciting that way. Uh, I know this isn't all about, you know, post-millennial views here, but uh, you asked. So, but yeah, (laughs) but I would never have been there uh, had it not been for working with David. And I think that David's uh, uh, views of, you know, the millennium, uh, because it's really kind of sad that we're talking about the millennium because it's only like one small part of Revelation. It's not really mentioned like one time. But but I think David's views are actually much clearer to him. Um, And uh, would you say that that is much more clear? It it affects the way you even think through things uh, as because we worked through it. And also because uh, I exercise my superpower. So let me tell you about a superpower that I have. And this works great. When we work on sermons together, um, I have a superpower and it's that I'm not that smart and it takes me a long time to figure stuff out. <laughs> and so I'm like, what, what are you, what are you saying? Like, so, okay. So try to just summarize what you're saying here. And I, I pull out my superpower. And so by me asking him questions and this guy's like, He's got like that. If you don't have a photographic memory, but it's something similar. And, and so he's just like doing this total recall kind of whatever something going on in his mind. And it's just working out. Uh, and so with me using my superpower, I've made him more powerful, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's made things clearer for him, which has been awesome. Uh, so then I, 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 I'm blessed by that. He's blessed by it. And I guess that actually gets into another aspect of us working together as we prepare sermons together, maybe we could even talk about what that might look like, but um, is uh, we're both verbal cognitive processors. And so we, we think while we speak, right. Um, That got me into a lot of trouble. My ADD days when I was a kid, I had teachers telling me, Matt, you need to think before you speak. And I just realized that that was just bad advice. I need to speak so that I can't think. <laughs> and so we actually think this out. And he's he, he's the same way. He's not ADD like I am, but uh, we're both verbal cognitive processors. And so our brains are lighting up as we're talking up uh, the, the text that's before us as we're looking into it, studying it, cross-referencing this and that. I have to uh, talk through... The sermon, I, I still, long time ago when I was in Winnipeg, um, I used to just preach from notes. That's how I grew up and kind of churches I went to. And my mentor in those days encouraged me to begin the process of writing a manuscript, even if I didn't use it. And I think that's a good discipline. And as I have opportunity to encourage younger preachers to do that, I, I encourage them to do it. But um, I can't sit in a quiet room and write, I have to talk. So kind of talk through a paragraph, 
and then write it down and then talk through the next paragraph and then go back and modify the first one. And it's a very verbal sort of process where I have to hear it out loud, even if I'm just talking to myself. And uh, so sometimes when we're talking either in person or if we're on the phone, I will kind of speak through and, and Matt's busy taking notes. So um, often at the end, he'll send me whatever he wrote down while we were talking and uh, that's helpful just to call things to mind. Um, yeah, so sometimes we're we're together, sometimes in the same room, and uh, and 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 doing that. And I'm taking a lot of notes. Other times, uh, we don't have the ability through the week to get together to talk about the passage in person, and so then we're also on the phone. Um, and so uh, sometimes I'm taking notes about stuff and whatnot. Uh, and, and those notes are a combination of my thoughts and his thoughts. And, uh, and then, yeah, at the end of that all, then I'll just kind of send him what I got as far as notes, which then is an interesting thing, uh, is the content uh, of, you know, sort of the study, the prep work of the sermon is, it's not David's, it's not mine, it's ours. But these will also be two Completely different sermons. Completely like, different sermons. You could probably, if we were to do a pulpit exchange, we could preach the same text the way that we studied it out, and there wouldn't be a lot of overlap between the actual sermon itself. Um, obviously, being from different generations, Matt is slightly older than my oldest son. Um, so, uh, Which I, I wanted to share that piece, too. Uh, I think that's, that's one aspect. One interesting thing about David and I is we're very different kind of people. Uh, I mean, you know, he's older than I am. I'm younger. Uh, and he likes classical music sometimes. I really don't. Um, our, our interests are quite different. I, I think what he was striving for was, I prefer godly music. <laughs> <laughs> I like my Christian hip hop uh, as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, we're, we're, we're very different kind of people. Um, I think there's about three things that we have in common. Uh, one, you know, you can, if, if, if this was on video, you can see, we both don't have a lot of hair and we have a little bit of facial, facial hair. Um, that's one thing we have in common. Another thing that we have in common is that, uh, we have both done keto for quite a bit of time. Don't go there. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, so some dietary interests and things like that. Um, but then also, uh, is honestly just a passion, uh, for the pure word of God. Yeah. Um, like we're, we're very different people, but we have this commonality of the word of God, a, a desire to, uh, see the the uh, to understand the word of God as the word of God actually is. So we're really trying to get after what the scripture is saying, um, and and we also have a uh, a passion that the word of God and the true word of God would be preached uh, in 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 pulpits uh, in our own two churches, but also throughout the denomination and throughout the world. I don't know if we have that much influence. We just pretty much have about our influence of our two pulpits. But um, but we have this great desire uh, for the word of God. And uh, that's pretty much our big commonality. Our personalities are quite different. Uh, the, I guess we are both verbal cognitive processors. So that thing too. Four things. 
And post-millennialists. Yeah, there you go. But that was because of what we had in common earlier. Oh, never mind then. Right? Because of the hair, right? That flowed out of it. That flowed out of it. <laughs> Yeah, amen. Well, I want to I want to just kind of flesh that out a little bit. Maybe we'll go back and we could talk about some of the just practical things. But but I, I want to spend some time just talking about um, your love for the Word of God in particular. But but I guess even more particular, your 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 love for preaching and, and the importance that you you place in preaching in your congregations. What what do you guys see? You know, I, I've told people. You know, the the name of this podcast is the Messy Reformation. And so I guess what, what I'm asking is what role do you see preaching play in, in reformation in churches, or you could use revitalization in churches, but even in, in, in bigger pictures and in, in denominations and, and even what role does preaching play in that, in your understanding of post-millennialism of the gospel spreading to the nations? Let me quick start and then you take off. I'll, I'll just uh, quote from, uh, a good Reformed uh, confession here, Belgic Confession, Article 29. Uh, what are the three marks of the true church? Is uh, The first one is the church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. Um, it's, it's critical. It's critical to, uh, to the health of, of our congregations. Uh, and uh, this is a lost world, and, and, and we need it. Um, God's word is, is pure. It looks like David's got something here. I was just uh, thinking of the how Paul describes the preaching of the cross as, as foolishness, and he talks about the foolishness of preaching. And it seems like as I've grown older and watched changes in the church, you know, first in Baptistic kinds of churches that I grew up in and more recently in Reformed churches where preaching has kind of been downgraded, in my opinion, from um, what it used to be, what I remember it being. Because people think, well, the foolishness of preaching, why, you know, Let's do things that connect better, more relevant to our audience, things like that, um, as opposed to recognizing, no, it was through the foolishness of preaching that God chose to shame the world's wisdom and to bring people into the kingdom of God, giving them a knowledge of Christ through the gospel. And I believe when I look at the church order and how it describes the task of the minister I think the vast majority of everything that we are called to do, we are called to do from the pulpit. I mean, obviously, there's some things you're going to have to have to go to the hospital and visit someone who's in the hospital and sit with them, things like that, obviously. But in terms of our work in the church, I think the vast majority of that ought to be accomplished from the pulpit with the preaching and proclamation of the word. And I also think that uh, we've we have to do some work to reclaim preaching and to reclaim listening as a part of that process, because many congregations have gotten used to, I can't tell you how many times I've been doing this. I started a little late. I've been doing this for about 25 years now. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, if you can't say everything you need to say in 15 minutes, then, you know, you're not a good preacher. And then I think of we're, we're currently working on a series in, in Romans and one of the things I've been doing, because I, and this is another thing I encourage young preachers, I listen to good preaching. 
Like spend some time every week listening to good preaching from different generations even. And I came across the uh, website where there's 366 sermons from Martin Lloyd-Jones on the Book of Romans. Mm -hmm. And I've just been listening to those when I'm walking, when I'm driving, and realizing there is a little non sequitur in a way, I guess, but there's a new documentary out about the Puritans. And John Piper is talking about how he encountered a book by John Owen on the simple text, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on Christ is life. And he said when, when he was preaching through that, he spent maybe 10 minutes on that verse, on that phrase. John Owen wrote an entire book on that one phrase. Mm-hmm. And Piper said, when I read the book, it made me question if I had ever really read the Bible. And I encountered that fairly recently, and it's just been a, yeah, we need to get back. I, I think it'll be a long time before we can preach for an hour and a half in the average, you know, CRC. But we need to get away from this idea of these really quick, light, pop kind of sermons and get back to the place where we're feeding God's people on the meat of the word. And that's going to take work on our part and patience on the part of our congregations and, uh, I think catching people while they're relatively young and getting them used to this mm-hmm. is part of the process too. So yeah, amen. I, I encourage pastors regularly to just, you know, our our if we view our job as like a coach and a trainer, we're we're training people, we're just kind of slowly expanding, you know. Um, when I came into my current congregation. Um, many people had told me they had never had a sermon series longer than four or five. Wow. And I said, well, I preached through books of the Bible. And so I started off with Ephesians and did one chapter a sermon. It was so brutal. Um, yeah. But I was like, we'll do Ephesians in six, you know, and then, uh, and, then I did, and then I did the next one and I went through, I forget, another short book and then split it into you know, moved it out to six or seven and eight or nine. And now we're into like 20 something, 30 something sermon series and nobody cares. Right. And, and uh, we started with sermons that were 20 minutes long because that's what they're used to. And then stretched it out to 25. Right. And then stretched it out to thir- and just kind of getting you. It, and it's, it's, I think it's important not to just come in and say like a good pastor preaches for 40 minutes or whatever. And so you better just suck it up and do it rather than saying, here's where you're at. And my job is to help train you and equip you and get you to that spot. So we're just going to slope, start kind of developing those muscles and, and get you used to listening to a little bit longer sermons or sermons that are, you know, and we're going to work you, we're going to get you there. That's a, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I like the idea of, uh, of, I guess, growing the muscle in a sense of, of the congregation member, you know, the layperson uh, to, to listen to, to sermons in that way. And, and then also to hopefully orient their affections as well, right? Like at, at what point do they, what are they expecting during the time of the sermon, right? Uh, do I need to basically be uh um, entertained or do I need this to be done in 25 minutes because it's like I, I came for a one hour sermon. Uh, do what, what exactly do I need? Uh, do I need out of the sermon, like this, the skills for me to have a better marriage, 
right? Do I need the the 10 steps out of a sermon? Uh, or do I, do I need to just sit under the preaching of the pure word of God? Right. Do I need, uh, you know, what, what, what's the, what do I need from the text? I need whatever the text is giving me for that day. Uh, it, it's life. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to say one more thing too, as we were talking about um, the importance of preaching and, uh, and the word of God in the life of revitalization in a congregation or even reformation in a denomination. One of the, um, I've, I've connected regularly these two passages in scripture, one being Ephesians four, where God says he gave the, you know, the apostles, the prophets, the pastor teachers to do what? To equip the saints for works of ministry. And then when we get into first Timothy, second Timothy three, second Timothy three, um, he says, you know, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped right. for every good work. And so like, if you connect those two passages, it would say God gave you pastors and teachers to give you the word of God, to equip you to do the work that he's called you to do. And, uh, and we do that through preaching. And, and like David mentioned, even when you go to the bedside of someone in the hospital, what are you bringing them? You have nothing to bring them except for the word of God right. in that moment. And so you bring it in, in different ways. You don't just beat it, but, but you, you have the word of God to bring them comfort and hope and, and peace. And so that's really the only tool we have in our tool belt as pastors that God has given us to, to truly equip people to, um, to do the work that he's called us to do. And regarding that, going to somebody's bedside at the hospital or, you know, at home, wherever it may be, I think one of the challenges in doing that these days is that people don't have the depth of theological, biblical understanding that they used to have. I remember going to visit people early on, you know, people who were elderly then, um, 25 years ago, and talking with them and it was very clear you can talk you can bring up a passage like for me to live as Christ and to die as gain and they don't find that offensive they find it encouraging Um, where now you know oftentimes people will say well don't go to the bedside in the hospital and quote Lord's Day 1 in the catechism that's just trite and it doesn't you know like no um a story from my first church, I guess, there were some people, um, it was a, a, a more of an immigrant church, post-war immigrant church in Winnipeg. So if you were older than me, then you spoke Dutch as a first language. And as people, I'm not Dutch, I don't speak Dutch, I've never even been to the Netherlands. Um, how I got into a Christian Reformed church is um, proof, Here, of, proof of the providence of, of God. But, um, <laughs> But uh, there were people who, when they would get Alzheimer's or dementia, would lose their English and they couldn't speak English anymore. So I I could only go along as an observer on the visit. I had an elder who could speak to them in their birth language and and he would go visit them. I was so impressed when we would sit in the hospital or a care home with somebody who no longer recognized their spouse. Um, But he would ask in Dutch, 
what is your only comfort in life and in death? And they just rattle off that answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And they go all the way to the end of it. And uh, I thought, you know, when I get to that point where it's me on the other side, you know, lying in the bed and, and Matt's there visiting me, um, if I don't remember who he is, but I can remember that I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, then that's enough. That that's that's good, and it's in preaching, and I'm even we're we're, we're moving towards I hope in in our congregation of sort of reinstituting the catechism service. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to bring that back. I think it was important. I think it's it, it was sad when the CRC decided to let it go, um, because there's all that theological foundation that previous generations had that I don't see in younger people. And so visiting people who don't have that when you go to the hospital, it's it's like you're starting from scratch, where when you go to see them and they've got that foundation and they understand really what that means, that I belong to God, body and soul and life and in death, that everything must work together for my salvation. You know, Lord's Day 10, nothing comes by chance, but everything from the hand of a loving father. The people who understand that, Mm -hmm. visiting them in the hospital, they usually send you away with a greater blessing than what you could ever give to them. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Matt Vandenhavel and David Swinney. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.